continuing in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, we've gotten out of order just recently <laughs> uh, because of uh, the special celebration that we're involved in uh, these days. But we'll be jumping to jo uh, chapter 20 in the Gospel of John. Next week we're going to be doing a lot, a lot of backtracking back to where we left off a few weeks ago. But I just want to read to you uh, the Apostle John's rendition of Easter. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, whom we assume is the, the Apostle John. Uh, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping uh, to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, uh, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the, to the, the tomb. He saw the linen cloths uh, lying there and, or clothes, and the face of the cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, and she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even as I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Very familiar story that we have. I don't know how many times we have gone to the Gospel of John on Easter Sunday, but certainly many of them at this point. One of the things I want to take note of this morning is that Jesus didn't appear first to John and Peter and James and the other apostles. That The first person he appeared to was Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't know how much you know about Mary. The Bible really doesn't tell us a lot about Mary Magdalene. We know that she had been... Uh, oh, gosh. What's the word? <laughs> That Jesus at one time had exorcised seven demons from her. Uh, that really is about the only thing we know with her about her positively, uh, other than the fact that from that point on she became closely connected with the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. I want to say this to you this morning. There have people that have made this connection between Mary Magdalene and the woman of ill repute in Luke chapter 7 verse 37, but there is no ground at all for making that assumption. But here we find in Mary Magdalene a woman that really loved the Lord Jesus Christ and committed her life wholeheartedly to him from the moment that he brought healing to her troubled soul. We also know this. Uh, that Mary Magdalene was one of the women who watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laid the body of Jesus in the tomb. So she knew where it was. We also know this, that Mary Magdalene was near the foot of the cross during tr the trials and tribulations of Christ. She knows that Jesus died. Like many, many other people really didn't know to the same level or degree that she did. She, there was no doubt in her mind that Jesus was dead as dead could be dead. We also know this from the other Gospels, that when Mary came to the tomb, she did not come by herself that there were other women who came. And I think that says a lot. Because we don't have the apostles coming first. They're in that upper room. 
Uh, and you wonder why? Is it because of doubts that they have about things? Is it just that they're, they're like shell-shocked and they have not a clue what's going on or what to do about it? Maybe they're afraid now because of their association with Jesus was publicly known by people. They're in fear of their own lives. And here we have Mary Magdalene and these other women. Joanna and, and Mary, the mother of James and, and other women that have gone there to care for the body of Jesus. And you can imagine these women going and they, they were there. They saw Nicodemus and, uh, and, and Joseph close the tomb with a stone. And they're wondering how in the world they're going to be able to get into the tomb so that they can properly uh, address the, the body of Jesus. But they get there and the stone's removed. She immediately runs to the apostles. She knew where they were. to tell them about it. Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, whom we all assume is the Apostle John, they run to the tomb. And it's obviously at this point that Mary uh, Magdalene believes, like most other people would believe at this point, that someone has come and stolen the body of Jesus. Grave robbing was very common in those days, especially when you're talking about wealthy people. And we know that Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy person, and this person had been, been entombed in, in this, this tomb that was supposedly his tomb. But grave robbers don't typically take bodies. They just take the booty. But it's interesting, as many times as Jesus has, has said this to the apostles. I want to just read some things to you this morning that Jesus has just recently, within the last few days and weeks, said to these guys. For, for, for some time, it, it appears as though they are absolutely shell-shocked at this point completely, totally taken off guard by what has transpired. Even though Jesus numerous times have told, has told them specifically what was about to happen, why he was going to Jerusalem and what was going to happen to him when he got there. It's like it went in one ear and out the other ear. Now, we have all suffered grief, some of us more than others, and some of us in a to a degree that, that the rest of us just have not. But we all know what it feels like. It cuts to our very core. It gets as deep down in us as anything can get deep. 
And we understand that when we are in that kind of grief, we don't really think straight. We don't do things probably in the right manner or do some things that we wouldn't under normal circumstances. We know what that deep-hearted, deep, deep grief of the heart is like. Our heart hurts, our emotions run amok, our brain stops working, our energy is drained, we can't think straight, nothing makes any sense. One of the things that we should glean from this is just how decidedly human the apostles were. Sometimes we picture them as these super-duper human people, almost like supermen. They weren't. They were just as ordinary people. As you can get ordinary. They were just like you and I. You and I probably, we would have, you know, being where they were, we would have reacted to the situation in exactly the same way they did. Very, very human, all of them. And we know that Jesus has not lost control of the circumstances, and he has not lost control of the apostles either. And in fact, they are exactly where Jesus wants them to be at this moment. Very often we make them out to be these super saints, and, and there's a sense in which they did become super saints, but at this point, this is, you know, Jesus has symbolically breathed out the Holy Spirit upon them. But Pentecost hasn't taken place yet, where that real empowerment of the Holy Spirit fell upon them to go forth and carry the message of uh, the death and the resurrection and the Lordship of Christ. To the world and these these broken men at this point will become the powder keg that ignites into an unsuspecting and unbelieving world in the first century in a way that nothing else ever has in the history of mankind nothing comes close It reminds me this morning that there really are no super saints. Sometimes we think that there are. A super saint is basically just an ordinary person who finds himself in somewhat or thrust into an extraordinary circumstance. And God works through them and in them in ways that they themselves never would have suspected that it would happen. These guys had to learn a lot. God had to break them down to the very essence of their being. And that is what has taken place here. For what reason? So now he can turn them around and build them back up way better than they were before.
We find it extraordinary that even Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus when she first saw him. People have speculated a lot on what that means. It's hard to say. We can't read Mary Magdalene's mind. I think it's another measure of just how grief-stricken she was. She was not herself. Not only that, she's got her mind working here. Her eyes are telling her one thing, but her brain is telling her something different. Well, fortunately, you and I know the rest of the story. And we're very blessed to be some of those people. We know all of it. And we know this, that even though they are in in just unbelievable grief and, and depths of despair at this point, that that grief is soon to be replaced with matchless joy. See, not, this is not the end of Mary's story. It's not the end of John's story or Peter's story. It is only the beginning of their story. And one thing is very clear, and that is in order for them to grow into what God needed for them to be, Jesus had to leave. We understand what that's like. Some of us have taught our children how to ride a bicycle. And as much as you want to get on it and ride it for them so they don't fall over and get their knee skinned up or whatever, you can't do that. They have to do it. But at the same time, it seems as though they've, they've just kind of forgotten so many of the things that Jesus had just recently said to them. Well, just think about this. Peter and James and John, just, a, just, just a, within a week or so earlier, were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And they heard the voice of the Father speak directly to them. How do you go from there to where they are now? It's just a measure of the fickleness of the human heart. These are some things Jesus has just recently said to these guys. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit, that your fruit should abide. I lay down my life 
that I may take it up again. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. They are in a state of shock. But they don't stay there. The weeks coming are going to be some of the most fruitful weeks of the ministry of Christ Jesus in all of history. Masses of people will come to faith. Can you imagine being the first person granted the privilege of seeing the resurrected Christ? That's Mary. Mary Magdalene. Appears as though she was the very first one to see Jesus after he was resurrected. As we said before, it's really amazing that she didn't recognize him. Why? Well, one of these things is I would say to you that it probably has a lot to do with the state of grief that she finds herself in. It's just, just probably one of those things that's too, too good to be true. But she's convinced. All the disciples are convinced when Jesus appears to them that evening. Timothy was not there, or Thomas was not there, but Thomas was there just a few days later when Jesus appeared. There's a possibility that the resurrection of Christ is one of the most historically attested to facts in all of human history. Paul will later write, these words, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the twelve, and then to more than 500 brethren at one time. So it wasn't that Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to Mary Magdalene and then he appeared to the, uh, those 11 apostles because Judas is out of the picture at this point. And that was the end of the story. No, Jesus went out in public. And many, many people saw. And, and Paul, when Paul was writing, that he says that many of these people were still alive. And he's saying to them, don't just take my word for it. Go talk to them. They'll tell you the same thing. Then you have, have, have Paul with his, his encounter with Jesus on that road to Damascus. I mean, it would be nice 
to have been one of those people who had that experience of directly engaging and interacting with the risen Christ Jesus. But the fact of the matter is you and I, we're in this picture too. Because in chapter 20, verse 29, we read these words, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who have believed. That's you. That's me. You know, we have this saying that seeing is believing. Do we sit here this morning? Is there anyone in this room that has doubts about the historicity of all of this? Are we just reading from a fairy book story this morning? Fairy tale story? Or this reality? What I would say to you this morning is if you believe it be true, you believe it to be true because there's a sense in which you have already, already tasted a type of resurrection. There are many, many people who never experienced that. And what I'm talking about is for you to lay hold of the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. God cannot leave you where you are or where you were. That something is required for us to come to a saving and real and true knowledge of what Christ has done and all that he has done and what he continues to do. And that is that we must be born again, born of the Spirit, not of our own will, not of our own purpose or intention. God breathes spiritual life into someone who was otherwise spiritually dead. So what I want to challenge us with this morning is there's a sense in which we ourselves have already had a little teeny tiny taste of resurrection. There's a sense in which Christ is spiritually resurrected. Everyone in this room who believes it, everyone in this world that believes it, everyone in history who's ever believed it from spiritual death. To life. But we know this that if we die between now and the time Christ comes back, that we ourselves will experience a bodily resurrection. It's true for every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for removing the blinders. Thank you, Lord, for enlightening us to the truth. Thank you, Lord, for convicting us like you're doing right now. Are you being convicted right now? That's God at work in you. You're not doing it to yourself. 
It's that Holy Spirit moving in you. Because Christ has breathed out the Holy Spirit upon you. J.C. Ryle writes this. He says, The whole of saving Christianity hinges on two facts, that Christ died for our sins and rose again for our justification. We might be able to give people a little bit of ground when it comes to other less central issues or focal points of our religion. There are people that have tried to tamper with these things, church people who've tried to tamper with these things down through the generations, down through the ages. But they simply cannot be tampered with. Christ died for our sins. And he rose again for our justification. Remove either one of those. You may have religion, but you don't have Christianity. You have something less. Something that will save no one.